We believe that INEX is the only company in the world that offers an internally finned tube. We developed that a few years back. The fins actually spiral. It gives you better combustion efficiency and, of course, more surface area to absorb the heat and transfer it out to the load. This week on Heat Tree Radio, we talk to the owner of a radiant tube company whose business is growing. Growing so much that he recently funded a three-phase expansion project of his production facility to help meet that growing demand. Stick around and find out what was driving the expansion and how exactly this expansion might prove beneficial to captive heat treaters in the automotive and general manufacturing industries. Welcome to this installment of Heat Treat Radio. We have a real treat this time around. We're talking about radiant tubes. For those of you who might not know what a radiant tube is, it's a tube which is inserted into a furnace. A burner or electric heating element is fired into or inserted into that tube. The tube then radiates the heat to the interior of the furnace, protecting either the load from the products of combustion or protecting the heating element from potential destructive process gases. But before we get into it too deeply, let's meet the radiant tube expert and our special guest. Here he is to introduce himself. I'm Mike Kasperzak with INEX Incorporated uh, in Holland, New York, which is just a little southeast of Buffalo, New York. And uh, Mike, tell us what you do there. Well, Doug, I, I regularly pretend that I run the whole place. Uh, I am the owner and president, uh, but of course, any company uh, doesn't run with the big shots. It runs with the with the guys that know what they're doing. And I'm very lucky to have a crew that I can uh, rely on to uh, not only produce product but uh, have some fun doing it. And exactly how many do you employ? There's just nine of us, Doug. Uh, actually, nine and a half. We have a part-time accountant and, and nine of us in the shop and, uh, and the office. Did that number go up with the recent expansion? We've added one, and we're going to have to add one or perhaps two more uh, in the very near future. Okay, so before we get into the details of your recent expansion, both what you did and why you did it, Let's take a few minutes just to understand what it is you're supplying to the captive and commercial heat treat market. So pretend we know nothing. Tell us what you do. Silicon, silicon carbide radiant tubes. Ready? Go. Okay. The classic radiant tube has always been made out of nickel chrome alloys, or some people generically call those stainless steel tubes. And, and there's a variety of alloys that have been employed and of course, those people have worked hard to improve the performance and life expectancy of our competing metal alloy tubes. What INEX produces is a little different than what our competitors making silicon carbide tubes uh, utilize. Uh, we have competitors, both uh, domestic and in Europe, uh, particularly not so much in Japan or China, but they make reaction-bonded, slip-cast radiant tubes. And those are excellent tubes. I'd be the, the last person to criticize uh, my competitors in this arena, 
because they make a very good radiant tube out of slip cast silicon carbide. Those are conventional ceramic processes. Uh, the the uh, g- g- generic name for it is KT. That's, uh, that stands for Kevin Thompson. He was a research engineer at Carborundum way back in the early 1960s, and he developed the uh, pressureless centering of and siliconizing of silicon carbide way back in the 60s. And Carborundum, to their credit, uh, tried to get people interested in it, but it was very, very expensive at that time. Well, INEX was actually founded by some former Carborundum people who realized that although the, the slipcast silicon carbide was an excellent material, it, at that time at least, was prohibitively expensive. So they set out to try and come up with a much lower cost process and in fact developed one and patented it and that became the core of what is INEX today and that is a silicon, silicon carbide radiant tube. A little different than reaction bonded in that the free silicon content is, is much higher. Uh, it's kind of interesting when we look back at the uh, the folklore, if you will, of the founding of Vinex, uh some very, very learned people at Pennsylvania State University and State College PA were asked to evaluate the uh, silicon-silicon carbide developed by INEX, and they very quickly realized that it was very different than reaction bonded. And the founders of Vinex kept asking the researchers, well, how will it work as a radiant tube? And these people were were basically people that were involved in the space program, and they were looking for ultimate yield strength. They were looking for reinforced with, with whisker. And the stuff that they were working on was in the neighborhood of, $3,500 a pound. Well, you take a typical radiant tube would be 40, 50 pounds. You can see that that was going to go nowhere. Uh, so when they when they looked at the silicon-silicon carbide from INEX, uh, the, the founders had to just basically keep repeating the question, well, how will it work in an industrial heat-treating furnace? And finally, uh, the answer was, uh, well, why don't we go test it? And that's exactly what was done before the research was ever completed on the strength of materials and modulus and all all of the physical attributes of what became the silicon-silicon carbide. So it's a very different animal from what uh, my competitors here in the United States or in particular the Europeans produce. a radiant tube, just the fundamental thing is it has to hold up its own weight and it has to be good at transferring heat. That's really all it has to do. So, Mike, let's jump right into the expansion then. Tell us about it. What drove it and what did you do? Well, Doug, this has been really an exciting time for our company. Uh, first of all, for a long time, we have been crowded. Uh, we were kind of not necessarily tripping over each other out in the shop area, 
but we knew clearly that we needed to uh, to either streamline what we were doing or add some floor space. So uh, this this past fall, we uh, actually broke ground on an expansion that uh, nearly doubled our floor space. So we're uh, we're able to now uh, stretch our, out our elbows and start start doing things in a little more organized manner. Uh, there's a there's a long story about why we didn't do it right away, uh, but we finally uh, realized that if we wanted to continue to serve our customers and be able to expand our offerings, that we simply had to add uh, additional capacity. <clears throat> we had to uh, do a couple of things with this building expansion. First of all, our existing receiving dock which was perfectly adequate for 40-foot semi-trailers, uh, was not very conducive to trucks backing in uh, now that they're all 53-foot long. So we knew that we had to make a change there. We've put in a, an, an all-new receiving and uh, raw material storage area as part of this expansion, which was uh, sorely needed before. And then as we took on additional work, became even more critical. We've always had a crowded shipping area where uh, I think you know that our material is is uh, a ceramic-based silicon carbide, which has to be very carefully packaged in uh, die-cut foam. And the foam is bulky and takes up a lot of room, and the cartons that we ship in uh, need to be fabricated and the foam inserted. So we always uh, were looking for a better shipping area. And so we, we actually have three separate building additions, one out the front, which was for shipping, one out the back, which was receiving and, and a new receiving dock, along with the bulk of the addition, of course, for manufacturing. That was out the back or the rear of the building. And then, uh, in anticipation of needing some more uh, engineering talent in the future, we uh, actually enlarged the office uh, with the third addition, which went out towards the uh, the south end of our building. So we actually had three separate building additions going on simultaneously, which is why my hair is even more gray than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. But, Mike, you've aged nicely, so no worries. But back to the topic at hand. With the expansion, did you add any production capacity, any type of new equipment? Yes, and, in fact, there's going to be more. As we digest what we've already taken on, we'll be adding some additional furnace capacity uh, as well as prep area for the, the manufacture of tubes. What really precipitated us going ahead with the building addition was the loss of a subcontractor that we used to use for attaching flanges and end plugs to our tubes. When that company could no longer do our work because they got busy with their own stuff, we, uh, we had to bring that work in-house. Now, we were already crowded before we did that, and as a result of bringing that work in-house, of course, we were even more crowded. So this, uh, this building expansion was really uh, an opportunity to not only control more of our product, 
but they have uh, much better logistics because we don't have to ship the tubes out, receive them back, and then repackage them to go back out to our customers. So it's it's worked out very well. We're we're very pleased with the uh, the our, the ability that we now have in house. We now have uh, flanges that are brazed on a silicon braze, and the same with the end plug. We didn't know how to do that, and that's why we had gone to a subcontractor in the first place. And my guys just really put their nose to the grindstone and, and, and quite frankly, in a very painful process, trial and error and some, uh, some fairly sophisticated uh, engineering analysis, figured out what we had to do with our equipment to uh, be able to do the same work. And uh, it's worked out very well. We're very pleased. And it's, it shortened our lead times, and uh, consequently our, our deliveries to our customers are, are uh, much better. And, and our yield is much better than was our subcontractor. So the, from a cost standpoint, we've been able to pass along those savings to our customers. So how about demand? Typically expansions come about because of an increase in demand. I assume you've seen that? Let me talk about that a little bit. First of all, our our products are generally used uh, by people who either need to dramatically improve the performance or the uptime of their equipment, uh, and that's usually because they have a capacity constraint. They need to have a more reliable heat treat furnace. So people buy silicon, silicon carbide radiant tubes to try and improve tube life, uh, which gives them better uptime and more reliable operations. Uh, the second reason why people buy them is because their heat transfer is superior to our competing metal alloy tubes, which translates into the same furnace being able to do more work in a shorter period of time. So that's the other major reason why people are switching to silicon carbide radiant tubes. This caught on much quicker over in Europe. Uh, they embraced silicon carbide much earlier than we have here in the United States. In any sense why? Yeah, for the fundamental reason was that natural gas was always so tremendously more expensive in Europe than here in the United States. And, of course, now with the Marcella Shale, our, our gas prices have even plunged further down uh, and which is why we're exporting uh, liquefied natural gas now to other parts of the world. But in Europe in particular, natural gas was so expensive, uh, and in the Far East, where you were relying on importing liquefied natural gas, uh, it was even more of a burden on heat treaters. So those people looked for advanced burner systems that could transfer more heat. And those typically were very difficult to achieve with metal alloy tubes. So very early on, the uh, use of silicon carbide caught on in those parts of the world before it did here. And, of course, it's happening here in the United States now. So that's why the, the underlying increase in demand uh, for not just tubes made by INEX, but our competitors as well. What, what we're finding more and more is that the productivity side of the 
of the demand is becoming more and more important. Uh, people that have a capacity constraint in their heat treat department, or if they're a commercial heat treater, they want to take on more business, they're finding that because of the superior heat transfer, they can do more work in less time. So that's becoming more important than the uptime. Any industries that are embracing silicon, silicon carbide more than others? Well, certainly automotive has always been the strong part of our market. And I include in that fasteners because the automobile industry consumes so many fasteners. Uh, Those two big areas, uh, tool making, uh, people who produce hand tools and and, uh, machinery, they're, of course, uh, always relying on heat-treated components. Uh, So that's kind of always been our strong suit. Aerospace and aircraft typically are vacuum furnaces, and we do not participate in that market. Any geographies stronger than others? South America has been very slow to pick up on it. Uh, and I think part of that is just their economies down there in general. Uh, but I would say that the penetration or the utilization of advanced materials in heat treating is growing everywhere. Uh, much more quickly in Europe and the United States, uh, beginning to be very strong in Japan, uh, and and other parts of, of uh, the, the Far East. So what exactly are the red flags that our captive heat treaters, especially in the automotive industry, as you've mentioned, what are the red flags that might tell them that it's time to consider a silicon, silicon carbide radiant tube? Okay, that's, that's a very important question, and it's one, of course, that we're asked frequently by potential new customers. First of all, metal alloy tubes, if they don't quite fit, you can beat on them with a hammer and make them fit. You can't do that with a ceramic-like material. The attribute that we wish we had and don't have is fracture toughness. So the silicon-silicon carbide tubes have to usually be mounted a little bit different. They have to be handled and installed a little differently. But once they're installed, of course, they outperform and outlast the metal tubes. Now, there are some applications where we flat out tell people, no, you should not try to use this material. And be very specific, a lot of of continuous furnaces where there's a high probability of parts falling off the tray or the basket and falling down on a silicon-silicon carbide tube we tell them don't do that. So we have, for example, lots of continuous furnaces where they install the Inox tubes on the top above the load but use conventional alloy underneath. So that's, that's one uh, where we, you know, we strongly advise people not to do it. How about a payback period? Is there a, a typical, quote-unquote, typical payback period? No, I don't have a nice, simple, straightforward answer to that question, Doug, because everybody's operation in one way or another is a little bit unique. If they push their furnace very hard, they use it aggressively, the payback can be as little as four to six months. 
if they're very conservative and don't fire their furnaces hard and don't try to push a lot of material through their furnace, then the cost advantage uh, is wiped out because they're not pushing hard. The tube life that they are getting is pretty good. So the payback there can stretch out into the two, three year range. Uh, now, typically, people who are doing low temperature work find it's not important to switch. If you're doing medium to high temperature work, that's where the real benefits pay off. I did run into one customer, uh, purchasing agent from a rather large uh, heat treat operation. He said, uh, when we approached him about switching, he said, well, we never buy tubes. And I said, oh, well, really? What kind of tubes are you using? He said, I don't know. They've been there forever. Well, we went out in the shop, and this guy said, yeah, we keep patching up the old alloy tubes. Of course, he won't let us buy new ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. So, But let's wrap up by talking about the future. You've expanded. You're seeing good business levels. Any notable plans for the future, further expansions of the buildings or products? Yes, very definitely, Doug. We, we, we believe that INEX is the only company in the world that offers an internally finned tube. Uh, we developed that a few years back. The fins actually spiral. It gives you better combustion efficiency and, of course, more surface area to absorb the heat transfer it out to the load. We're getting more and more inquiries, though, for people asking us if we could develop a tube that had both fins on the inside and the outside. And now, now that we've got the building expansion under our belt and we've got some flexibility in manufacturing, we're going to put some folks on trying to develop an external fin. And that probably won't be for our, our bread-and-butter heat-treat customers. That'll probably be more for people doing uh, what I will call exotic heat exchanger type work, uh, chemical processing and things like that. They consume now a lot of nickel-chrome alloy. In many places, it's a perishable thing for them. And so the superior corrosion resistance of silicon carbide along with its higher heat flux and temperature capability, uh, looks like it, uh, it might be some benefit there. You're trying to introduce turbulence to get away from laminar flow, which uh, sometimes limits the effectiveness of heat exchangers or chemical processes going on in a, in a chamber. Uh, so we've had, over the years, uh, as I say, a few inquiries seem to be more and more people now saying, uh, you know, have you looked at this lately? And, well, we never had the flexibility in, in the original building to do much uh, what I'll call uh, experimental or playing around kind of stuff. So we've got some very uh, definite plans to, to look at other markets besides uh, radiant tubes. So you're a bit more comfortable making those tubes. We can crank out a lot of tubes in a little bit of floor space. And that's, you know, the patented process that we have. That's, that's one of the advantages that we have is we didn't need a lot of space, uh, although we, 
we certainly were cramped before. Mike, thanks so much for your time. I'm glad to do it, Doug. So that was Mike Kasperzak of Inex Incorporated talking about the benefits of silicon silicon carbide radiant tubes and the recent expansion at Inex's production facility. If you'd like to get in touch with Mike, please send me an email at doug at heattreattoday.com and I'll put you in touch with him. If you'd like more Heat Treat Radio, including our series on metallurgical poster children, where we interview young, fresh, metallurgical minds, please visit our website at www.heattreattoday.com and click on the Heat Treat Radio icon. Visit the website frequently. We post at least one Heat Treat news or technology item every weekday. Our content is targeted at manufacturers with in-house heat treat departments, especially in the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy sectors. Visit us at www.heattreattoday.com. And finally, if you have a specific topic you'd like to see covered here on Heat Treat Radio, please contact me directly. Again, my email is doug at heattreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio podcasts are the sole property of Heat Treat Today and cannot be reproduced without permission and appropriate attribution. This episode of Heat Treat Radio was produced and mixed by Jonathan Condon, Butler, Pennsylvania. My name is Doug Glenn. Thanks for joining us.